I imagine at one time you were this brilliant little child. As we enter into adulthood, what was brilliant in childhood can actually get in the way of you living the life you want to live. Hello friends, I'm Nancy Houston. I want to help you live a better life. all emotional creatures who sometimes think. And so it's so important that we make this journey from our heads into the depths of our hearts. Welcome to The In-Between with Nancy Houston. Good morning, everybody. It's so good to have you with us. I am, um, gosh, I'm in studio today with Hector, our new friend Derek, and Julie, and with you our friends and listeners. And I just want to tell you, thank you. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you for subscribing, liking, just being with us. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really special to have this time with you. And I love it. And I love you. And I count it a privilege to get to spend a little bit of your day with me and with me with you and together we get to do this. So today we're going to do something different. We're going to do something so much fun. Um, Julie has asked our uh, community if they have any questions that they would like to ask me. And so, gosh, Julie, how many questions do we have, girl? We have about like 25 questions. Awesome. Oh, We've yeah. got some questions. So Let's just rock and roll, shall we? Yes. Okay, Jewel. First question of the day. Yeah. We want to know the vision behind the in-between podcast. Oh. Why do you do what you do? That is a great one. Well, first of all, I feel like I sort of grew up in hell. And so I know what it feels like to feel stuck, to not know how to get out of a bad situation how to have the privilege of growing yourself up, which is such an adventure, um, how to actually go about growing yourself up so that you can live a better life. And so years ago, once I felt like I had done a lot of that work and you know, God had just provide, provided the guidance and the way out of my childhood, and I was so thankful, and I felt like God said, now, Nancy, turn around and help other people live better lives. So that is my theme of everything I do. Um, I genuinely, sincerely love helping people live a better life. Like in our leadership groups, I'm so excited when one of our members has success in some area of their life, whether that be personal, financial, business-wise, career-wise, marriage, something shifted with one of their children. To me, that just brings me so much joy. So, you know, at this point in my life, a lot of people are retired, <laughs> but I'm like, man, I want to live the most adventurous life I can possibly live. And to me, I don't know, being with people and helping them live a better life is, I don't know, that's the best adventure I could ever go on. So that's why I'm doing this podcast. Years ago, I would just see clients one-on-one. And I felt like the Lord said to me, hey, take counseling, take coaching, help people get it out of the four corners, the four walls of the office, and take it to the world. You know, everybody deserves the help they need. 
And so I'm not saying I have all the answers. I don't. I am still in this process with you, my friends. I am always learning and growing and seeking guidance and seeking wisdom and hoping to learn the next thing that I need to learn because there's a lot that I'm still learning. So there we go, Jill. How about the next one? The next one, what are practical tools for enjoying sex after childhood sexual abuse caused by dissociation? Mm, Yeah. Oh, what a great question. Thank you for that one. I really appreciate that. Whoever you are that you've asked this question. So how do you enjoy sex after experiencing childhood sexual abuse and, you know, disassociation became your friend? So first of all, I want to just say, hey, good for you. Disassociation is a brilliant way to deal with childhood sexual abuse. It's brilliant. So the fact that you still sometimes disassociate, that does not, that's not bad. It's just a skill you learned. It's a skill you fine-tuned and good for you. It's how your adaptive child survived. And y'all know I love to talk about the adaptive child because when we can think about what did my child have to do to survive my childhood, then we can start saying thank you to that adaptive child. We can start being kind to that adaptive child like, hey, thanks. You figuring out how to disassociate helped me survive. I wouldn't be here today if it wasn't for you being so smart and figuring out a way to get through childhood sexual abuse because that is traumatic. That is terrifying for a child. I experienced that, and that's what I mean by, yeah, sometimes I felt like I lived in hell because I, when I experienced childhood sexual abuse, it was terrifying and confusing. And it was coming from my father, who I loved and admired and needed, and he terrified me, and he was frightening, and he was extremely confusing, and he's violent. Whew, how does a kid hold all of that? Well, the way you hold all of that is through the brilliant strategy of disassociation, right? So, hey, I want you today to pause and tell that little girl or tell that little boy, thank you. You are my friend. You got me through what was a horrid situation. And you are brilliant, and you are tender, and you are sweet. And man, you survived, okay? So pause and do that, number one. Then number two, what you need to do is sort through good and evil. Childhood sexual abuse is evil. It is Horrible. I believe it's got to come from the pit of hell. Where else could ideas like that come from? I mean, you know, who implants ideas like that? But some horrible, evil being, right? And so, you know, I think that's where we have to recognize, like, that was evil. That was dark. That was horrible. That never should have happened to you, my friend. Never. You did nothing to deserve it. You did nothing to cause it. There is not something bad or shameful or dirty about you. You did not invite this. 
none of that was your fault. So you've got to sort through that. And now what I'm hoping is that you are in a good and loving relationship. You are with a person who loves you and cherishes you and you're safe now. And so now sex, and this is hard, we got to do a lot of sorting through, sex was evil and harmful and destructive and selfish. Somebody was taking from you. And now we're in, when we're in a healthy, strong, good marital relationship, it's meant to be something that is sweet and good and bonding and tender and full of mutual pleasure. You know, 1 Corinthians 7 says that the marriage bed is to be a place where the husband serves his wife sexually. He's not to be sexually, selfishly taking from you. No. He is to be attending to your sexual needs and giving you pleasure. And then the wife is to serve her husband sexually. And I don't mean in some creepy, negative, serving kind of way. You know, that's a hard word, don't you think? I think that's a hard word. Because if you're a child and somebody is taking from you sexually, it's like you become their sexual slave and they're the tyrant taking from you. That's evil. Well, that's not what marriage is meant to be at all. It means this sweet exchange, this loving exchange of pleasure of mutual pleasure. And that's what the Bible talks about. And so I remember for me, when I was trying to sort through all this, is that, and and I don't know, I'm just a visual learner. So this may be a really bad example for you, but it helped me, okay? Um, so I kind of had to think about it. And maybe it was because I had four boys, so I did a boatload of laundry, right? I'm just constantly doing laundry. And so I'd think about, I have to sort the laundry. Like if the boys had been out playing in the mud, I had to take their muddy jeans and wash those separate from like some of my beautiful, pretty whites, you know? <laughs> I didn't want the muddy ruining my beautiful, some of my beautiful clothes. So I would sort the laundry, right? And it's like with sex, we have to sort the laundry. What was used for evil against us? What was selfish taking? What was manipulated? What was stolen? Where was your voice silenced? Where did you have to disassociate just to survive? Okay, so there's all that. And you've got to give yourself permission to work through that, to put together your story. So that would be number three. Put together your story. Allow yourself to heal. When trauma's happened to you, you've got to give yourself permission to heal, and you deserve to heal. You are worthy of healing. You are worthy of reclaiming your body. Your body belongs to you and to you alone. Now, when, when we get married, when we say, I do to somebody, <laughs> you know, in the old English marriage vows, it says, with my body will I worship thee. And so, you know, and that, that's beautiful. 
It's like, I'm going to give my body to you because you're going to receive my body as a gift. And I'm going to receive your body because I'm going to receive your body as a gift. And when we treat one another's body and our own body as a gift, then we cherish it. We take care of it. We love it. So my dear friends, I want you to heal from the traumas so that you can treat your body like, my body's a beautiful gift, and I get to share it with the one I love. So I hope that's helpful. Any, you guys, any other thoughts on that one? I don't want to leave out anything because that's such a good question. That was so good. Okay. It was oh, so good. one more thing. I Oh, sorry. Here, I ask you guys a question, then I answer it. Bad form. Okay. Anyway, I was just thinking, though, one of the ways to help you learn how to enjoy sex is just start thinking about, oh, well, how does it feel like when my husband kisses my lips or holds my hand? or puts his hand on my back, or gives me a foot rub, and learn how to differentiate between unsafe touch and good touch. And then develop a voice. Like, oh, honey, when you touch me like this, ooh, baby, that's good. Um, and sometimes this isn't my favorite, but this is my favorite. You know, and you're, you're communicating in a, it in a way that is loving and respectful. It's not like, oh, can't stand it when you touch me like that. You know, because then that just builds a wall. Mm -hmm. But when you say, oh, when you touch me like this, or when you take his or her hand and you direct them in how you want to be touched, you know, that's just you owning you and your body and teaching this other person how to touch you. Um, you know, I had this injury, and so when I would go to occupational therapy and for my hand therapist to work on my hand, he'd say, Nancy, you have to tell me when I'm hurting you. I am not inside of your body. I cannot tell what is, you know, I, I'm trying to stretch you enough, but not too much that I cause harm or damage. Well, I thought, you know, what a, great ex what a great thing to remind all of us that this is why we have to come to the bedroom with a voice and be able to communicate, hey, this is awesome. Hey, this is great. Hey, that's not my favorite. I know it worked yesterday, but today it's just not working for me. You know, and just why we come with a voice. So, okay, there we go. Now I think I'm done. <laughs> no, that's so good. You're definitely helping people, Nance. Um, so we had one, two people ask the same question. Yeah. Uh, how to support a spouse that deals with depression and anxiety? Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. Well, I first, I think we always start with empathy and compassion. You know, man, we have a lack of empathy in the world. And so many of us grow up in homes where we're shamed for feeling sad. You know, we're just shamed for it. Like, I remember my dad saying, if you don't take that pout off your face, I will take it off of your face for you. In other words, I would get a whooping, right? And so there was just no empathy. Or go to your room, young lady, and come out when you've sorted through yourself. Well, you know, when you're four, 
it's hard to know how to sort through yourself emotionally. That's what parents are supposed to be helping you with, <laughs> right? Like, oh, honey, you look sad. Tell me what's going on. Where parents are labeling their children's emotions for them because children do not have the words for their emotions. And so when you've got kind and loving parents who are helping you sort through your emotions, then you learn how to contain yourself, how to name your own emotions. Remember, we can't tame our emotions if we can't name our emotions. But if we didn't learn how to do that in childhood, if we didn't have parents helping us, then we have to learn how to do that in adulthood. So it might be saying to our spouse, honey, you look sad today. Tell me about that. Honey, I noticed you've been quiet today. What's going on? And then they say, well, I'm down. Tell me more. You know, what's, what's that like for you, honey? And how can I support you? What do you need? I'm, I'm here for you. I love you. I care about you. It's okay. We all go through hard times. It's, it's normal to feel sadness and to feel some depression. That's normal. Now, let's say it's going on for months and months. And so now it's like, hey, honey, I noticed this has been going on for quite some time. What, what needs to happen? What do you need to um, help improve your mood, to lift your mood? What do you need? What would that look like? Do you need to go for a walk in nature every day? Do you need to go play? Do you need to go see a therapist? What do you need to lift up out of this dark mood? Because, sweetheart, it's been going on now for quite some time. And, and here's the thing, you know, depression if an individual is depressed for a certain amount of time, the family can become depressinogenic. So then the marriage can become depressed. The family can become depressed. And, and so if you're struggling with depression, I want you to get the help you need. You can't stay there for, you know, let's say like, you know, maybe more than a couple of weeks you know, or maybe you're going through a season. That's certainly understandable. We all go through those. And, but then if it becomes longer than that, then really get the help you need. You know, I'm, medication's never my first move. Like, okay, let's go out in nature. Let's get some fresh air. Let's get sunshine. You've got to get out and get some sunlight. As a matter of fact, the best time to get sunlight is first thing in the morning when the sun is rising. Go out, no sunglasses, and get some sunlight. Same at the end of the day when that sun is, when that sunlight is starting to go down and the sky is turning blue and purple and pink and red and orange. You need to get out in that kind of sunlight. All those colors are brilliant for your brain and for depression. So get out there. Um, let that impact your body for good. Okay, so take care of yourself. Another thing you need to really look at is your diet. Like, 
what are you feeding yourself? If you're just feeding yourself, you know, junk food and trash and donuts and alcohol, you know, and, um, you know, gosh, I, I can't tell you the amount of clients I've worked who use um, cannabis as a way to medicate their moods. But honestly, there's always boomerang effects to any stimulants or drugs or, you know, right? Like alcohol is a huge depressant. I know it lifts the mood, but then, man, it turns around and drops you. And I know cannabis can feel like, oh, it's chilling my anxiety, but then it has a boomerang. And for many people, not all, but for many people, it'll actually cause you to feel greater levels of anxiety. So, you know, what are you putting in your body? You've got to take ownership. If you're eating Doritos all day and then chasing it with some alcohol, you're going to feel really crappy. You know, so you deserve to love your body well. So take care of you. And then get the therapy you need for any traumas. Man, get the therapy, EMDR, um, brain spotting. You know, there's now some techniques to really help you come out of that kind of childhood darkness. So please, you are worth it. Do it, my friend. That's so encouraging, Nancy. And I love that your advice is so simple and straightforward because humans can complicate so many yeah. things. Ooh. So just thank you for keeping it so like yeah. real and straightforward and simple because yeah. life thank can you. be simple. Oh, it really can be. And, you know, like I'm working on a book about trauma because I'm like, there's so many great books out there about trauma, but they're 500 pages thick. And when you're in the middle of trauma, your, your brain already is not working. And so how my theme has always been, I think Einstein said this, genius is simplifying the complicated. So let's make this as simple as we can, everybody. Right? Life is hard enough. Yeah. I don't, I don't want to add to the burdens of your life. I want to lift some of the burdens, right? So thanks, Jill. That's so, so good. Uh, as a father, next question, as a father, what are the best ways not to project childhood traumas onto my children? My fear of what happened to me as a child may have a negative impact on how I parent my daughters. Oh, hey, listen, Dad, thank you. You know what? Just the fact that you asked that question tells me a lot about you. Number one, it tells me that you're a good daddy because you're not wanting to just transfer your crap on your kids. So good for you. You already have like step number one nailed because you are like, I know the stuff that happened to me. I could just transfer this onto my children. So I just want to say I'm proud of you. Uh, you're In my book, you're already, you've got step number one down and you're being a good dad by not wanting to pass on this generational stuff. I think number two, we've got to realize that Trauma is definitely intergenerational, and we do pass it on. So the first step is like this awareness of, eh, bad stuff happened to me. I don't want to pass it. Number two, what am I going to do about it? So that means, my dear friends, you've got to go get the help you deserve. It, it's more than, I mean, I, I'm with you. I did not want to pass any of this stuff onto my children. And I realized that 
it could still leak out of me. I think sometimes just even just my sadness, you know, and I wanted my kids, everything to be okay for my kids. So I think sometimes maybe I could even be superficial trying to make it all good. And I had to go, you know what, that's not going to work. Because then I'm going to end up sweeping some things under the rug instead of having the ability to face really hard things. And my children are going to go through hard things. Your kids are going to go through hard things. And the thing is, we want to be able to be there for our children. And if we can't face our own hard things, then it's going to make it hard for us to face our hard things with our children when they go through hard things. So this is why we actually have to do the hard work. So, hey, you're a good dad already. You're asking good questions. And now go ahead and get the help that you need and that you deserve. And honestly, I'm hoping that this podcast can be a free resource for people getting help. So thank you for asking the question and for listening and reading and um, you know, just doing the hard work that you need to do to recover. And recovery is hard work. Honestly, I'm not going to lie to you. Recovery sucks. It's the hardest work I ever freaking did. And at times I thought I was going to die. <laughs> just because, you know, getting in the well and facing my past was something I never wanted to do. I wanted to avoid that at all costs. So it meant I had to overcome my avoidance, my minimizing my past, my denial of what happened, and I had to face that shit head on. And that's excruciating, my dear friends. And it's excruciating, and I want to tell you something. There's hope on the other side of it. So I'm so thankful that like God led me down into that pit, and then when it was time, he helped lift me out of that pit. And I am here to tell you, I live through it, and you will too, and your life is going to be so much richer and better and incredible. I honestly, I feel like I have the most incredible life I could possibly have now, and I don't think that would have been true if I hadn't faced my own dark valley. So do the hard work. You're going to make it. That's, that's so good. I could, I could feel his heart melting. Oh, good. <laughs> You're going to be melting parents' hearts right now. Oh, good. Um, so I'm going to plot twist. I'm actually just going to give you a piece of encouragement that came from Misty Persefield. I'm so sorry if I butchered Aww. her last name. But she said, love everything you are doing. I'm so inspired. Thank you. Oh, hi, Misty. I love you. Thank you. Thank you for your encouragement. It just helps to know that we should keep going and keep doing this. So thank you. I really appreciate that. Thank you, Misty. Next question. How would you encourage a man whose marriage fell apart due to his sexual addiction? Mm. Hey, yeah, I'm sorry your marriage fell apart. And, you know, we've got to learn from our mistakes. We all have to learn from our mistakes. And, you know, we've got to assess what was my part in the breakdown of this marriage. And, you know, if we're blaming our spouse or blaming her or blaming, you know, whatever, 
you're never going to get better. And the goal is to get better. The goal is someday I want you to have an incredible marriage because you've done the hard work and you've owned it. Like I ruined my marriage with my sexual addiction and sexual addiction does ruin marriages. You know, we've got enough information now from PET scans that when a man comes home and says to his wife, Hey, I've been cheating on you or Hey, I've been looking at porn all the time and um, acting out sexually, we know that that traumatizes her brain. In that moment, her brain, if we were to hook her up to a PET scan, her brain would have the same profile as a trauma victim, as a rape victim. So, you know, sexual addictions are really hard on wives or vice versa. I mean, you know, let's not pretend there aren't female sexual addicts. There are. And we've just got to know that that's really hard on your spouse. It's hard on your children. Because when you're actively involved in a sexual addiction, you are not present with your family. You're organizing your life around the next time you can have sex or act out sexually. And so you're seeking your next high. Sexual addiction is a real addiction. Now, I know some may argue with that, but I'm telling you, I've, I've worked with enough people to know it's a real addiction. So I think the first step is a cry for help. I am out of control, and I cannot fix this on my own. And I need to hit bottom. Hitting bottom, my dear friend, is a gift. It is a freaking gift. It is the best gift. When, and, and we all have to hit bottom. I had to hit bottom. I did not have an addiction. But maybe I did. Maybe I was addicted to the idea that I could beat my childhood trauma, that I could run far enough away from it and fast enough away from it that I was never going to have to deal with it. And maybe I was addicted to that. I don't know. And so the day where I finally had to admit of, oh my gosh, I cannot outrun this any further, that was one of the hardest days of my life and the greatest day of my life. Because I truly hit bottom. And so, my friends, if you're dealing with something and you've tried to outrun it, you've tried to outsmart it, you've tried to, like, deny it and say, I'm better, I'm fine, I'm great, and you're really not. You may have stopped looking at porn, but you're replaying porn all the time. You've put enough in that it's, it, it's created such a powerful pathway in your brain that you've got it real in. All the time, you know, hit bottom, admit you need help, admit you're out of control, admit you're powerless, take radical ownership, you know, let your conscious work on you. Like, yeah, you screwed up your marriage, you ruined your marriage, own it. And then 
you know, it, and then stop beating up on yourself and get the help you deserve. You know, thankfully nowadays, there's lots of sexual addiction programs. You can go find a sexual addiction group, Anonymous, SAA, for free. You know, there's free resources. There's free help. You know, honestly, we don't really have excuses for not getting the help we need anymore. So go get it. And make your next marriage, if you have a next one, a great one. So good, Nance. It looks like Hector's a question. Okay, for I you. have a question. Okay, Hector. Hi, Nance. Hi, Ben. I didn't submit a question. Am I allowed to ask a question? You may. <laughs> Go for it. Praise God. So, let's say you're in a scenario where your spouse wants to watch porn during yeah. intimacy. Yeah. One person's down. The other person is doesn't even know how to feel about it. Yeah. They they feel. They're like, okay, it kind of sounds hot, but makes me uncomfortable. Yeah. What would you advise to people who are in that situation? Yeah. Oh, man. Thank you. That's a great question. Um, you know, I've, I've had couples who will use porn for sexual stimulation, for arousal. And I'm like, hey, I get it. And how is that building genuine intimacy between the two of you? What's your goal? What are the sexual goals for your marriage? What is the sexual vision you want for your marriage? Because you two can create what you want to create. I mean, you know, I'm not the sex police here. It's not my job. But my job is to help you create a vision for you what you want for your sex life. Do you want it to build intimacy? Do you want it to create a deep and lasting bond? Do you want to bond to one another sexually or do you want to bond to images on a screen? It's your choice. Those images on a screen are what Proverbs call the seductress. The seductress always looks like she wants you. She looks like, and, and she even conveys this with her body, with her eyes, you are special. You are one of a kind. I want you and only you. And so the seductress makes you feel special and wanted and felt and seen, and it's a lie. And male porn stars can do the same for you women. You're so hot. You're so beautiful. I want you. I want your body. It's all a seduction. And we all have to be careful of seduction. Because it wants to woo us in and lie to us. And that's why every married couple needs to have a clear vision of what do you want for your sex life. I personally, you know, scripture says, keep the marriage bed holy and keep it for the two of you. I love that my husband and I were almost married 50 years. And one of the things we were talking about this the other day is like, man, we love to make love to each other because it's a one thing that we share 
that we do not share with anybody else on this planet. It is our private heaven, right? Where it's just filled with pleasure. And, and here's the thing. When you bring in other people or objects, then you can start bonding to those images, to those others. And it can take away from the intimacy that you were meant to have. You know, the scripture says that sex is more than skin on skin. It's a deep spiritual mystery. And you and your partner were meant to share in this deep spiritual mystery. It's a mystery. So when we add porn or we add others, then we're taking away from the mystery. There's no mystery there. That is just about pure, unadulterated arousal. Well, maybe it would be more meaningful if you figured out how to arouse one another. Have some conversations. Grow this thing. Talk about it. What do we want? Is this really what we want? I'm uncomfortable about it. I don't feel right about it. Do you really feel right about us looking at other people having sex and, and thinking that that's going to build an intimate sex life for us? Are we just going to have sex like, I don't know, kind of like animals? Are we gonna, you know, or are we going to learn how to make love to each other? Because that is an art and that is a mystery. And if you'll take the time to do that, I promise you you're going to have something rich and meaningful. The other is a cheap substitute. It is false intimacy. And hey, you guys, there's no condemnation here. The world has sold us on false intimacy. It really has. And it's done a great job of it. So I'm not beating up on anybody, okay? But I just want us to have a vision of what do you really want and then have the hard conversations and have honesty about that. You have a voice, and so does your partner. So you both got to bring a voice, and you both got to bring an eye, which you mean you bring eye to eye, eye, the human, to another eye. And that's how you start building an intimate sex life. That's good. That's good, Nance. Since we're on the sex topic, uh, I have another question. She says, I am a 60-year-old woman in a wonderful 35-year marriage and just don't want to be sexual anymore. She says, I am healthy, happy, and I'm just tired of being sexy. I don't feel it. I think I have matured out of it, but my husband still could do it every day. Not fair. Can I be alone? (laughs) Hey, sweet woman, good for you. I mean, I just hear so many positive things about you. I love it. You're healthy. You're happy. You love this man. And you don't want to have sex every day. Well, Hello, yeah, right? (laughs) Like, good for you. And you're tired of acting sexy. Hey, you should not have to do an act in the bedroom. That's exhausting. You should have the freedom to just bring you. Just bring you. And like, be willing. Like, hey, I'm willing to share pleasure with you, but I'm no longer willing to put on some sort of act. 
I'm 60 years old and I'm past it, which isn't it beautiful? It's a fabulous thing about aging. We get tired of some of the dumb stuff we've done in the past and we're like owning ourselves more and more and more. And so I think there's a couple of things I want to say to you is one, good for you. Own you. Own what's going on with you. Own what feels authentic to you. Number two, you do still love this man that you've been married to for 35 years. So sit down with him and say, hey, babe, I love you. I don't want to have sex every day. Um, but I'd probably be willing, you know, like, I don't know, talk, think that through. I'd be willing to have sex twice a week. You know, that would be lovely. And three, I don't want to pretend to be sexy. I want to be me. I want to feel like my body at this age and stage is loved and cherished and accepted. And then for, you know, stay willing. I just had a friend um, who's 72 years old. She's amazing. And she says, man, I lost interest in sex a long time ago. And I said, well, have you ever thought about getting your hormones checked? Because females do need a pinch of testosterone. Testosterone is not a male hormone. It is a sexual drive hormone. It is a drive hormone. Testosterone gives us energy to get up and go. It's a drive hormone. So she debated about it and was like, I don't know, I don't know. And she just, I'm like, just go get them checked. And get them checked by somebody who does bioidentical hormones. Not synthetic. You might as well do something that your body feels is natural, right? And so she went and got them checked. And she's like, oh, my gosh, I was super low on testosterone. And so she decided to get a little low dose of that. And then she called me and said, oh, my gosh, Nancy. I am loving kissing my husband. I called him the other day and said, you need to get home, buddy. I want to have sex with you. And she goes, I don't know what's happening to me. And I'm like, well, the beauty of having that pinch of testosterone. So you, you might also need to get your hormones checked. Now, don't go overboard. You know, I've heard stories of women who they've been overdosed. And then they start walking through the mall and they're like, why am I looking at breasts? This is weird. Or why do I want to punch my husband? And I'm like, well, you've got too much, and now you feel aggressive. So you want to feel balanced. So find somebody who will treat you in a dignified way. That's so good, Nance. Uh, Oluwa says, thank you so much for your content. It's so reassuring, and your voice is so gentle and loving. Mm. And then she goes on to ask, how do you prepare for a relationship when you're used to being single? Oh, man. Well, first of all, thank you. Thank you for listening. Thank you for your comments. I'm so thankful that you're here with us. And I love your question. How do I prepare for a relationship after being single for quite some time? And you know what? That is a great question. I, I don't always feel qualified to answer that question because I got married at 18 years old. So I have not been through that particular season of life. I went from home to marriage. But here is what I would say. I would say, grow and develop you. 
enjoy you. I mean, we're all attracted to people who are thoroughly enjoying their own lives. We're attracted to people who are growing and developing. It's like if you went out in your garden and you have this beautiful rose bush that just keeps producing the most incredible blooms, you're going to just love and enjoy and be attracted to that particular rose bush versus one that is sad and wilted and sorry and feels downtrodden and hates her life and feels like life sucks and they're working a job they hate and they don't take care of their bodies and wow, wow, wow. You know, nobody's attracted to that, right? So I would just encourage everybody, whether you're married or single, like, be a person that other people are attracted to. You know, don't be a downer Debbie. Be excited about your life. And if you're not, figure out why you're not. And then pursue a life that you want to be in. Hey. Own you. All right, Nancy. Well, this is going to be our last question for okay. today. Since awesome. we're on the topic of relationships, how do I know if I'm self-sabotaging my relationships? I used to struggle with people-pleasing. It's hard to see the line between choosing myself or just becoming avoidant when I get deeply disappointed and running away. Mm. That is such a great question. And listen, I can identify with you. I, oh my gosh, I was actually terrified not to be a people pleaser. Because for my, me and my childhood, one of the ways, a huge way, my adaptive child survived was to learn how to please. And so for me, that felt life or death. And so I had to learn how to take my little adaptive child onto my lap and say, hey, sweetheart, it's okay. You actually were not born to please others. It's okay for you to have a self. Now, I grew up in a family where it was not okay to have a self. Like, don't you dare have a self, young lady. And so I needed a lot of help to get to a place where I could feel like it was okay for me to have a self, where it was okay for me to have my own personhood, where it was okay for me to own me, which then meant that I could say no to others without going into a panic. So listen, if you have trauma, first you need to deal with whatever has brought you to the place of being a people pleaser. And so get some help for the, that trauma and then learn how to take that little girl on your lap and say, hey, babe, or that little boy, hey, sweetheart, I understand how learning how to please was the way you survived. Thank you for surviving. You are sweet. You are tender. You are loving. You are a kind-hearted person. Your people-pleasing is not bad. It was the way you got us through, so thank you. And now, I am your wise adult, because you do have a wise adult living inside of you. If you're asking me this question, you have a wise adult living inside of you. So, I want you to realize that and say to that adaptive child, Hey, babe, I've got my hands firmly on the steering wheel. You get to go get in the back seat and color or read a book or watch a video. You don't have to worry about pleasing everybody anymore. I'm a wise adult. I know how to say no. 
I know how to set limits. And if I don't know how to do that, I'm going to ask Hector to help me with that. Or I'm going to ask one of my other friends to help me with that. Like, how do I say no in this situation? Because I'm exhausting myself by pleasing everybody. And it's ruining my life. People pleasing will sabotage you. It'll exhaust you. People pleasing will sabotage your health, your relationships, your well-being. And it'll keep you from pursuing the life you deserve. So, hey... Calm that child inside of you because people-pleasing comes from anxiety. So calm yourself and then keep telling yourself it's okay to have a self and to own you. I hope that's helpful. Hey, friends, thank you. Hey, Julie, this has been so much fun. I love this. We need to do this again. We got to do yeah. this again. I love this. Okay, guys, so we'll we'll keep doing this. So, hey, our dear friends, keep sending in your questions. I love your questions because, hey, listen, if we aren't meeting your needs, then, then we aren't doing our job here. And so what you're needing, and I hope what you're getting from this podcast matters. So keep bringing your questions to us. We love you. You matter. Hey, I want you to go out today. And love you. Love that adaptive child. Say thank you. And then remind yourself that you have a wise adult inside of you. And keep encouraging that wise adult to grow and develop itself in whatever way it needs to. Thanks for joining us today.